0: probably that's king triton's doing right he made a deal with ursula i love this crab but he died he got cooked i mean she used the
1: eels to shock him back to life
0: right and she's like but i'm going to leave him red just to remind you of your failure
1: Live for the Mundangerous Man of War in New York City. I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host, Ishan. And welcome to episode 249 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're hoisting
0: the mainsail, climbing the rigging, and setting out for adventure on the high seas as we discuss seafaring adventures. But first, the party saves a friend in the Gates of Morning campaign. And
1: later, Sailor Neptune wields the power of the depths in the character creation forge. So just a friendly reminder that you can find us uh, playing through Castle Amber in 5th edition D&D over on the Godsfall Twitch channel at twitch.tv slash godsfall on... Uh, usually on Fridays, and you can also catch up on those episodes in the God's Fall podcast feed available on iTunes or at godsfall.com.
0: If you're a regular listener of the show, you may remember that when we first started this, we said, hey, we're probably going to do about four episodes of this to just run through this module. Um, it's more than four now, mostly because we're all just f-ing around. <laughs> <laughs> yep. No rush. It's corona times. Right? It's Aram is always like, uh hey, do you do you guys like need to wrap this up really quickly? And we're just all like, No, I Meh. let's spend two hours like poking
1: things. <laughs> we did two rooms.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Slowly. Right. There's a lot of party not infighting right? Like we're not fighting against each other, but there's a lot of like bickering and suggestion rejection. <laughs> mm-hmm. We're like, mm, I don't know, I think uh, opening that door is a dumb idea. Maybe you should do it. <laughs> yeah, I think you're a dumb idea. <laughs> <laughs> Until it's like, uh, I think we have to murder
1: some people. Great. All right, right. let's every, everybody yeah, okay. murder. Let's go. And we are of one mind. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> speaking of murdering people of one mind, where are we in the Gates of Mourning campaign, Ishan? So the Gates of Mourning campaign is our fifth edition D&D game
0: set in Eberron, a sequel of sorts to the original Morning Glory campaign. And in Central Carnath, in the insular city of Vedikir, the party is chasing a killer. So Sergeant Bach, the Ondarian dwarf, has disappeared from the sanatorium where he has been recuperating, apparently fleeing some kind of unknown danger, because it looks like he left in a hurry. Uh, Lenore spots his tracks leading west,
1: back toward the Marrow's Mead Inn. So as we approach, we hear Sergeant Bach shouting and rush in headlong to find him beset by a mercenary who looks very much like the dead one we found earlier. Uh, The assassin swipes swipes at Bach with a large warhammer, very subtle choice of weapon for an assassin, (laughs) uh, which Bach deflects with his forearm uh, with a loud clank before Vesicod paralyzes him.
0: Yeah, the party remembers that way back in the day of mourning when they made their mash, mad dash across no man's land to fix the arcane ballista, uh Bach, who was there to fix the ballista, took an arrow through the forearm, and it seems that maybe he's had it replaced. So Switch, the paladin, closes into melee and hacks away at the man who is frozen in place. Uh, but then two skulking soldiers dressed very similarly to uh, the mercenary emerge from the rooftops and begin raining sling bullets down on Vesikad,
1: attempting to break his concentration, although for now he holds firm. Then Brample, the bard, hypnotizes one of the roof slingers and commands him to drop his weapons. He obliges, and his gear plunges to the ground four stories below.
0: Yeah, this is one of those situations where, like, uh... Angelo is going, alright, this is a first level spell, so I'm pretty sure I can't command him to walk off and die because he'll get a save or it'll break the spell, but I can tell him to just, like, drop his sling, right? Yeah, yeah, it seems like that'll work. You should do that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So Lenore, uh, the rogue, begins to scale the stone wall of the building to reach the second slinger. And then Warden the Druid begins to call lightning from the sky to strike the man on the roof.
1: So, he retreats.
0: (laughs) Why? Because he's getting hit by lightning. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. (laughs) But not before he hits his companion to free him from Bramble's spell. So, the newly conscious man is weaponless. So, he
0: pulls a wand out of his belt and slams five orbs of force into Bramble's chest, which nearly knocks him out.
1: Then Vesicod tries to drive a spike of his own psyche into the man's mind to no avail. I don't know what that means. (laughs) He used Mind Spike, (laughs) (laughs) which I think is the
0: first time in all of 5e that any of us have ever seen the spell Mind Spike used.
1: Yeah, so Vesikhod is, uh, as a Kalistar, right? Like, very leaned into psychic um, and, like, psionics as his theme. So there's not a whole lot of options for that. So Mindspike it is.
0: Right. Uh, he's uh, He was a wild magic sorcerer, um, reflavored as a psion, who, had, like, is still managing to get control over his abilities. So one of the mercenaries begins to leap from rooftop to rooftop and starts heading south, apparently fleeing. Lenore, who is of course a House thrash Inquisitive, imprints upon him so that she'll always know where he's located, and then Warden Sprouts' uh, dragonfly wings flies up above the city and continues to call lightning.
1: <laughs> I mean, when you've got a storm cloud, you <laughs> use it. <laughs>
0: hey, we're on the ground and that guy's running across the rooftops. So I can't see him anymore to target these lightning bolts. Hold on a second. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: So meanwhile, Switch and Bach knock out the paralyzed man, and Vesikad finally infiltrates the mercenary's mind. So the party lets him go, planning to just follow him back to wherever he goes, and then Lenore ends up cutting down the last mercenary.
0: However, when Switch checks the man on the ground, whom both she and Bach had specifically just knocked out rather than killed, he's already dead, and his mouth is filled with acrid foam. So they take a look at him before pursuing the mercenary who they basically have tracked through um, Lenore's imprint and Vesicot's mind spike. He's geared a lot like the other dead man, uh, although, you know, he has different weapons. And then when they check the corpse, they can see across his forearm scribbled in ink is a single phrase. Leave the skin unblemished, unbroken.
1: And we'll find out what happens next, next week.
0: So this week... We are talking about seafaring adventures. We've already talked about under the sea. So I guess now it's on top of the sea. Over the sea. <laughs> but not too you know, over the sea. Like right? the song. <laughs> it's probably not Sebastian singing that song, though, I guess, huh? It's, it's, uh, it's no. Eric. <laughs> uh, wait, he's a crab, right? No, he's a lobster, isn't he? No, he's a crab. He's a crab. Uh, oh, yeah. Crabs can go on land. He's a cooked crab, though, because he's red, and I don't he's understand. He's red already. He's already dead. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well then, why was he running so aggressively from the cook? Maybe he's undead. Mm. Mm. Okay, necromantically reanimated Sebastian the Crab. Probably that's <laughs> King Triton's doing, right? He made a deal with Ursula. I love this crab, but he died. He got cooked. <laughs>
1: uh, well, they—I mean, she used the eels to shock him back to life,
0: right? And she's like, "But I'm going to leave him red, just to remind you of your failure." <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> shame. What are some things to consider when you want to run or play in some
1: seafaring adventures? So, first of all, you want to think about why is it that you're here on this ship, on this sea? Uh, I was impressed by the British
0: Navy. Okay, well, <laughs> right? that's... They grabbed me off the docks where I was a, <laughs> yeah. a worker and said, you're in the Navy now, son. <laughs> yeah. Press ganged, press ganged. That's the, that's the
1: adventure hook. <laughs> um.
0: So, yeah, a few things to consider, like, there are short-term reasons that you might be on the ocean, right? You don't have to have an entire seafaring campaign.
1: Uh, yeah, you might be there because you're taking a trip, right? Like, it could just be transportation. You're on the ship until you get to a certain point, and then you get off.
0: Yeah, and it's sort of like fantasy uh, setting is going to have a time when you need to get to an island or to a place that's just easier to get to via the ocean. right. Uh, you could be here because it is part of a naval battle. You are in a war or some sort of skirmish, and this requires
1: taking to the ocean. Uh, you could also be here for exploration, right? You 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 might not be doing the kind of like, you know, circumnavigate the globe type of exploration. But if there's an archipelago, you might need to scout some islands or you might need to... Um, you know, like, uh, figure out what has happened behind enemy lines, right? Like, explore their coastland uh, to figure out what they're doing. We need spices. You know, <laughs> life sucks, but spices make it all a little bit better. Yeah, I mean, that's that's another a good and simple one, right? Is it's like, oh, it turns out that, um, you know, this new color is in fashion in the royal court. Uh, I heard that those islands have that, the the plant that we use to make the dye, Go explore and see what's on it. right you, know, it, the, you you know what the map looks like. You just don't know what's actually of value on the island.
0: Yeah. I mean, what's the reason that you're adventuring in the first place? Making money. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so making that die money. <laughs> Indigo baby. <laughs> so in any of these scenarios, consider what is your role? Uh, are you a leader? ideally fingers crossed although remember a captain has to go down with the ship so maybe you don't necessarily want to be yeah, always yeah. Second in charge in command. <laughs> <laughs> more likely if you're low level you are at the the bottom of the hierarchy maybe you're just a deckhand maybe that's why you're even allowed on the ship because you don't really know what you're doing but hey you clean things
1: right yeah or you know you might be um a soldier on a ship right so you don't have a responsibility for maintaining it but you do have a responsibility to be there and maintain your discipline um likewise you might just be a passenger right you might not have any obligation other than to show up for mealtime and stay out of everyone else's way uh you know unless you end up in a fight <laughs> right <laughs> in that case yeah. uh huddle below decks and don't complain or pick up a sword right exactly <laughs> like, that's the uh that's that line from generation kill you know it's like in a pinch even rolling stone picks up a weapon and fights <laughs> but not the chaplain yeah <laughs> <Like, laughs>
0: uh all right and then again in in short-term scenarios think about how long you're going to be on the water do you have sufficient supplies british navy were called limeys because that was the main concern don't get scurvy at sea
1: right yeah um and so your voyage might require then a resupply stop right you might make multiple ports of call on this short-term adventure uh you might do like uh, a lot of sailors had to do especially exploring and forage right come in close to land uh, do some hunting do some fishing do some gathering put it back on your ship and head back out
0: right that's why we don't have turtles anymore because they grabbed Uh, them all and stuck them on the deck upside down (laughs)
1: yes (laughs) but that's why we had pirates
2: so you know it's a (laughs) trade-off
0: So in this instance, the longer the voyage is going to be, the more dangerous it's going to be. Obviously, you know, you can run into more terrible things on the ocean, uh, but you can also just run out of food or fresh water.
1: Yeah, the more things can go wrong, the longer you're at sea, right? Um, But what if you're going to be using seafarer adventures as a long term piece of your campaign, right? Like that is the framework of your campaign. What would you be doing?
0: Right. So you're not on the ocean just in passing, which means you're probably doing this as part of your job or career or, you know, as part of your adventuring, right? So it could be that your merchants like the the point of this campaign is we are seafaring merchants we are going to go to a location uh retrieve whatever whatever it is uh that's there and and then ideally hopefully return alive and with our goods
1: right you might also be in the navy right so you might be commanding a vessel or a fleet with the express purpose of fighting things on the high seas or protecting things on the high seas as it were
0: similar to a merchants game you could just be explorers where the goal isn't necessarily to bring back trade goods but to actually find uh, new locations just because you know you like naming them after yourselves and you can plant flags and things like that because I'm sure nobody
1: already lives there yeah well you know we'll talk about that No, nobody of <laughs> consequence lives there right well that's almost certainly true from your perspective <laughs> history may not be so kind to judge <laughs> oh well I'll be dead so <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Uh, so you can combine those three things and just become pirates, or if you prefer the paperwork, privateers. All right, that is—you will prey on merchants, you will run from the navy, you will explore uh, new lands in order to gain yourself an advantage. So what I'm hearing is that it should be a pirates game. I mean, <laughs> I, I no, I I don't want to say that because merchants are also fun, right? Like there is there is the um. Like, the pirate is the character that is sort of living on the fringes and tearing down society. Uh, The merchant is the one who's living on the bleeding edge, building up society, right? Like, exploring, meeting new cultures. Like, not colonizing, right? But just... Exploring trade, right? I have these goods. I need to ingratiate myself with this new court. I need to improve our relations with this trading partner. I need to do those kinds of things and represent them back at our court so that I can make more money. Like, that's an adventure. Like, that's a good like framework for a campaign it doesn't just have to be fighting things Though you'll probably have to fight things
0: i mean that, that's the thing right pirates are uh really fascinating characters so if you are playing a merchants game you will probably be fighting pirates because that that's cool
1: right and you'll probably befriend some pirates in the process <laughs> because they're useful friends to and have. Then
0: hire pirates and bring out the privateer paperwork right exactly <laughs> <laughs> have you considered mm, fighting only everyone else I mean, look, we've, we've played essentially um, only war sessions before. So, like, it's also fun just to play, like, an Imperial Navy game, you know, um, mm-hmm. where you're chasing the pirates, the those elusive wily pirates.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <You're> def- <laughs> definitely not leading you into a trap. <laughs> <laughs> no,
0: not at all. Why is that island shaped like a skull? <laughs> uh, but But yeah, basically, like, in an RPG, all of these will probably and should probably come into play in some way.
1: And then, you know, think about how your long-term seafaring will be, like, structured. Will you have a fleet? Uh, will there be, like, location-based sort of adventure, right? Do you have a set of friendly ports and a, a set of hostile ports? And do you have faction in the, factions in those places that you need to, like, improve your reputation or manage your reputation with? Do you have, um, you know, rivals or uh, partners that you need to manage, I mean, I used to play Sid Meier's Pirates
0: way back in the day, the Mm -hmm. extraordinarily pixelated game. And like half the fun of that was just like running into different coastlines, you know? uh sure this this is the caribbean but like i don't have a detailed map of every caribbean island in my head right so you just sort of sail in a direction and then bam (laughs) i i landed on an island let's let's see what uh resources are here and now we'll just sail away in a random different direction i mean i was you know i was nine years old whatever but (laughs) it was fun (laughs) you can also get into um well fun for some people sort of like a quartermaster game where you are managing the resources on your ship managing what it is you're picking up at at each kind of port and then Uh, managing what kind of crew you have and the skills and abilities that they have so you know you need to uh, find someone who knows how to make barrels and if you don't have that then it's really difficult to make sure that you've got enough uh, fresh water or that you can store your food and like the cooper died in the last battle so like we've got to go back to port and find another cooper I guess
1: yeah or the 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 cook is also the important one right because that's that's the character who knows what you can and can't eat and how it needs to be prepared so that you can maintain your morale and not waste your supplies right is how spoiled is too spoiled (laughs) right (laughs) (laughs) and how fresh is just fresh enough
0: right (laughs) and you know and of course speaking of all this like a doctor do you have anyone who
1: knows anything about medicine right um i i do think like what's cool about this is that uh, a lot of crews even if the ownership of the ship isn't like is already kind of solved like a lot of crews have a sort of democratic process um, which means that even though you have a captain a lot of times the captain is only really unilaterally in charge at times of battle so you know like just that that sort of like structure works really well for an rpg group where only one person needs to be the captain and it's only when you're in a fight and they're just handling the npcs everybody else is acting independently pretty much the whole time within some parameters of what the group would allow and if you're not doing that then i
0: really like the idea of like there's an npc captain who's terrible like a bligh type and then <laughs> this game is about a mutiny yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right so you're on a ship probably the first question players ask is where the heck are we going
1: so i want to start with rivers because i think this is when we say seafaring obviously you don't think of rivers um but anytime you're going up a navigable waterway on a ship you know that's still kind of a seafaring campaign i mean that's Uh, basically
0: what you know european explorers were doing at the time if you look at the places where um cities are in america right it's like they sail to a continent and then you sail up a river as far as you can go until the ship can't go any further because the water isn't deep enough. Right. Like that's what you mapped. And then you turn around.
1: <laughs> yeah. Or, or if you like, you know, read about pirate adventures in like um in the Caribbean, right? Like a big part of their adventures are actually going up waterways, like up uh, rivers, partially looking to cross the isthmus of Panama, mm-hmm. right. To get to the Pacific ocean um, and raid, <laughs> raid right, spanish settlements over there but like part of it is just like those adventures of, of using canoes after you've already careened your ship um so in most rpgs like because you're going to be like right on the shores right like rivers don't tend to pose the kind of threats that oceans do so like it'll effectively be land-based with some specialized kind of challenges
0: yeah, and those challenges tend to be acute, right? Um, they happen suddenly or in a specific moment. They are overcome or you die, and then they're over. So, And they're really yeah. tied to the terrain, the particular terrain that's surrounding the river, whether that is, you know, grassland or actually like thick jungle foliage.
1: Yeah, so this will be your predators in the water or, you know, predators on the banks. Those could be intelligent or, you know, beasts whatever right like this is your uh crocodile or alligator attack this is your piranhas and swarming in the water um this is your uh angry sahagan at the mouth of the river uh ambushing you as you come out
0: yeah um i like that there's a lot of crossover here between uh, a seafaring game and then you know a game where you're on a raft going down the mississippi or like a ship sailing the nile
1: speaking of the mississippi (laughs) you also have to worry about like rapids and i guess not waterfalls on the mississippi but um you know like those kind of just terrain elements where um you know if you keep sailing too far you're going to lose your canoe you're probably going to be jumping out and and swimming to shore at the last minute
0: right i mean if you're on the amazon like the the quote-unquote terrain changes drastically depending on like when tributaries are um connecting and how close you're getting to the ocean
1: and and also what the season is right like if it's a particularly wet season or a particularly dry season it's definitely going to be particularly wet i always yeah (laughs) you also have coastal campaigns right so When you're within a couple hours of land or even like within a day of land uh you always have landfall as a fallback you can always like if things go too poorly you can always reliably sail back to the coast you know careen your ship make your repairs or you know scavenge your supplies do whatever you have to do and on the flip
0: side if you know you are basically on an away mission on land and things get like go south you can always retreat to your ship and just sail away like cut your losses (laughs) yeah (laughs) this is nice for um a party with a mixed makeup where you may have people who are good at sailing and being on the ship and you may have others who like for for story reasons aren't used to being on a ship and aren't particularly good at that and then they're sort of along to sort of lead when you actually make landfall and then you can have a sort of fish out of water in both scenarios right and then of course there's open water this will be when you are crossing maybe an entire ocean or a large enough waterway. I mean, there certainly there are very, very large uh, rivers or lakes or seas uh, on Earth. But in a fantasy campaign, you could have essentially water of any
1: size. Right. Um, and and this is categorized by the fact that you've got nowhere to go except for the blue right like if something happens on your ship the only place you can go is into the water there's there's no backup plan
0: yeah i think i think it's important to remember that like when you look at a map of the earth you see all of this blue but you can also see where the land is right but if you're an explorer who didn't have a map of the planet it's basically just this this like little circle fog of war around you. And as soon as you are just a few miles away from land, all you can see is ocean. Like right. I think uh, I think if your um, crow's nest is a hundred feet above the water, then the horizon line is 17 miles in every direction. That is a tiny speck on the ocean.
1: You see the uh, you see the birds before you see the land, right? Right.
0: Yeah. Exactly. But like y- you have this minuscule halo, and everything else is blackness,
1: right? Which you know makes for a lonely type of environment. Yeah. Um, you know, this is a great time to amp up your character drama, right? Like the cohesion of the crew on the ship becomes the question when you're not going to see a sail or not going to see land for weeks at a time.
0: Yeah, I think most stories like this always have the drama of the captain wanting to push on and saying, "I'm sure we're close." Uh, but nobody nobody has any idea, right? You could be 30 miles away from land, you could be 3,000 miles away from land. Right. And look at our stores. That's something that is tangible and we we know.
1: Yep. Okay, so let's talk about some of the challenges you'll encounter in a seafaring adventure. Well, there's the supplies. <laughs> yeah and simply put the longer the voyage the more important they are to your success so like
0: we said before like the game can become about careful planning and rationing of those supplies it can also become about uh getting more supplies and the difficulties of foraging when you are crossing the ocean um i assume it's actually pretty difficult to fish i guess off the back of like a 17th century wooden sailing vessel I, I don't know but you never see that really happening they don't have like drift nets or I don't know even like fishing poles off the back of the, the ship
1: I don't think when you're in open water it really works you got to be closer to you know school fish for that okay to work. or you
0: got to go deep <laughs> deep fishing yeah <laughs> uh, and then even if you've gathered enough supplies it can be really easy for them to spoil or a a math error from people who probably don't have high level schooling can misallocate how much you're using or you know somebody on board could be sabotaging you
1: yep or somebody who's no longer on board could have sabotaged you before right. they left
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> it wasn't salt it was sugar <laughs>
1: And and this is one of those things where you can also easily just hand wave it. Like, hey, the supplies, they're not fun for this group. So they're good. Like until it becomes a plot point, they're fine.
0: Oh, yeah. It's like what we did in Dark Sun, which is like the opposite of seafaring. But, you know, I think for the first five levels, we were counting every arrow and every grain of uh, food that we had Mm -hmm. gathered. And then after that, we're just like, hey, we have enough. Yeah, we're fine.
1: Uh, so then the other big challenge you'll have is navigation. Um, so this is also going to be very setting dependent, you know, if you've got magic and technology that are replacing sort of astrolabs and star charts, like maybe you can just hand wave navigation. But, um, if you've got sort of that 17th, 18th century vibe to your navigation, like that's going to be a big problem. Um, it's going to be a constant question
0: yeah and then you know it's a nice reward later in a campaign when you have explored enough and now you have an accurate map and then you just don't need to worry about it in the particular places you've already been
1: yeah um in in those cases like typically it's going to become a problem only after you've had some type of emergency right sometime that you you weren't able to carefully chart where you are and where you've gone like a storm has has blown you off course where are we or um you might know where you need to go. You might know where you, need, where you are, but you might have lost sight of your fleet. And now you're alone out there when you probably need the fleet's protection. Yeah, I like this because
0: it can't be resolved with a simple check. Like, all right, you've been blown off course. You can look at the stars and figure out where on the globe that you are, certainly. But if you don't have a map telling you what's on that part of the globe, you are, again, just adrift in a sea of blue right i I know that like fifteen hundred miles to the west is like where we want to be, but what's between here and there,
1: yeah, like I know I'm thirty miles north of where I was yesterday. that doesn't help me get to where I'm going if I don't know how far that is right, and if the wind isn't blowing the right way, right um, but also acute navigation can be important, right like not knowing where you're going on a chart, but knowing where you're going in the specific waters you're sailing so um you know, like there could be tons of dangers just below the surface that only a skilled navigator or a skilled helmsman knows how to spot how to navigate how to manage the ships like rudder and sails and crew in order to make sure you don't run into a reef or a shipwreck or you know rocks just below the surface
0: right those are things that will be labeled on a good map because you need to know about those but if no one's ever been here before no one has any idea about hidden sandbars or you know the merfolk society that gets very angry
1: if you show up Right. Or maybe it's not on the map specifically so that only people who know it can get into that place. Right. Right. Um, And then also, like a lot of times. It's purely experience to spot where might there be a hidden cove, where might somebody be able to hide out and ambush us, where, you know, like you said, might the merfolk be waiting to take our ship, you know, like, those are the kinds of things where your experience is going to be the indicator, no map is going to provide that information.
0: Right. So you can set up different kinds of challenges for party members who have different kinds of abilities, right? It might be a a piloting or, you know, ship's vehicle handling check in order to maneuver the ship in the right ways. Nature checks to spot the way that water is swirling around a particular area. Um, It could just be that, hey, I used to be a pirate. That's part of my background. So I, I am looking at that cove right over there, and that looks like a great place where I would hide my ships to waylay passing ships. So if anyone has ever been here before, there's an excellent chance that pirates either are there now or if they're not that might be a place that we actually want to raid
1: yeah if if they're not dibs (laughs) so of course weather is also going to be a concern um, up until the 19th century well no even like the 20th century right like weather could just sink ships like you would just lose ships at sea pretty regularly if there was um you know a tropical storm or a hurricane Uh, but even just like strong strong summer storms were sinking ships in the Caribbean up until the 19th century
0: I mean is an iceberg weather (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah (laughs) Um, are U boats weather (laughs) I love the idea of the fancy new ship that isn't going to sink that is definitely in danger of sinking and like that's that's the adventure Mm mm-hmm um, either prevented from sinking or like figure out a way to save as many people as possible. Yep. Uh, and then coupled with weather, uh, you've got maintenance problems that that could be due to a storm, it could be due to combat, or it could just be that you know wood and water or metal and water
1: don't always react well long term. Yeah. So that's actually like one of those historical points that I think is often overlooked is like how often you have to scrub the hull of a ship of barnacles. <laughs> um and like what kind of impact that has on a ship's like maneuverability and especially its speed um you know it's one of those things where like pirates had to constantly scrub their ships because they needed to be as fast as possible to close on their merchant ships or to outrun the navy um you know, it doesn't sound like a sexy topic for uh, an RPG, but like if you know you have to careen the ship and like do a lot of work, you're vulnerable. So what happens in those moments when you make that decision? How do you deal with it?
0: Right. And, you know, how often do you need to go into dry dock to like take care of repairs that can only happen when the entire ship is out of water? Where can you do that safely? Etc. Etc. Et right. All right. So let's talk about some encounters you might meet on the ocean
1: we've already talked about a little bit but storms um of course they can present a risk of damage to the ship they can blow you off course they can harm the actual crew send them overboard those types of things uh they can delay your voyage separate you from the fleet all kinds of complications
0: yeah i like these as sort of a a problem presented to the party that doesn't necessarily have a set way to get through Right, you don't need to set up the storm and be like, "Ah, what they need to do is tack forty-five degrees uh, to the east to make sure that they, uh, you know, skirt the eye and blah blah blah." No, just like let them do things that their characters would probably do, uh, roll, and then like see if it works. You know, is it a right. good idea? Then it, it probably has a decent chance of working. But you know, there's no no real way to know. Like this is the way that you should have handled the storm.
1: Yeah, I. I, I- I pity the group that has to figure out which direction to tack into the wind in order to go, <laughs> go like you know to adjust their their course 30 degrees. Like I <laughs> who boy, I'm not a good enough sailor for that.
0: No, also everyone's probably just making things up, right? Like right. <laughs> and then, and, like, and that's fine. I also love storms as just like a handwave plot point where right. like you do you do your best to get through it and that will tell you how badly you come out on the other side. Uh, But you're going to come out on the other side in the place that you need to come out for the plot.
1: Right. It's your positioning when you come out is what you're determining by your attempts to mitigate the storm. Right.
0: Uh, And then I think the encounters that are probably either the most fun if handled well or just a terrible slog if handled poorly is dealing with other ships.
1: Yeah. So keep in mind in real life, naval contests take hours or even days. Um, Once you spot a ship typically you have to give chase that can take hours, especially if it's two ships that are roughly equally like built and it's just the quality of the crew and the, and the luck of the wind. Like you could be chasing a pirate for days. You could be running from a Navy ship for days. Then you have to get in range to open fire, which could still take <laughs> hours to actually land a, to land a single shot. <laughs> yeah. Remember on the ocean is really the one place where you can reliably
0: kite but, yeah. <laughs> and so everybody does <laughs> right except the Spanish Armada <laughs> hey that was a storm let's just go with storm <laughs> and, a, and a turtle strategy <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this can be handled as like a, a chase scene if you want to just condense this down to uh, a few rolls like you do not need to run this in, in turn order like great this is going to take a few days Let's let's find out how many days it takes to catch up or if, right.
1: if you do. If you can. Or if you can escape. Right. Um, and then, of course, obviously, uh, combine this with the previous. Run into a storm. Take the risk of the storm. Don't take the risk of the fight with the Navy. Right? Like, that's that's also a common trait, is you'd have to be a madman to sail into the storm. Well, <laughs> it's my only option.
0: Oh, definitely do that. Right? Okay, we, we're having a naval battle, but there should be some sort of whirlpool
1: or storm brewing on the horizon or something. Right? Mm-hmm yeah let's let's put a time limit on this fight (laughs) um and then also keep in mind like when you're fighting pirates or when you're fighting the navy something like that in real life it's almost always better to surrender like merchants surrendered like basically as soon as they saw a black flag right because it was safer in rpgs don't do that just fight Like, don't don't give up. Like, there's no cost here. There's no real loss. It's it's imagination. Like, be the hero.
0: Right. I mean, unless you're the pirates, and then, in in which case, eventually, merchants are probably going to just start surrendering to you, right? Uh, Unless you're bloodthirsty, and now the merchants know that they're going to butcher all of us, then they will fight. Yeah. (laughs) All right. But, of course, we're not always playing in uh, true-to-life games in the Caribbean or the Barbary Coast. Sometimes we're playing in fantasy or sci-fi games and then there are all kinds of terrible horrors or just other kinds of civilizations you might run into. Like uh humanoid type creatures, uh, some of whom might uh, might be monsters like Sahagan, terrible, awful sahagen, shark people, shark folk. Yeah, folk uh, cuz they're not people.
1: <laughs> you might have merfolk, uh, you know, sea elves, like any of the coastal dwellers.
0: You also get here your like uh, lost city of Atlantis uh, who are angry that you're, you know, polluting the earth and now like you need to parlay uh, with them. I also really like the idea that maybe you're like from Atlantis and you're the the first vessel that uh, travels on top of the ocean because you're an envoy trying to meet these air breathers. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Great. (laughs) Uh, Literally fish out of water. <laughs> yeah,
1: um, of course, like any any coastal dwelling creature could be kind of rolled into this, right? So sea hags, elementals, like aboleth, right? Uh, all yeah. all of the creatures that you find in the water are potential for a seafaring campaign,
0: right? Black dragons, anything like that. Yeah. Uh, and then there are giant leviathans your kraken your giant squids your dragon turtles your massive whales that can swallow entire ships which can't happen but is a pretty cool adventure actually
1: (laughs) yeah i I mean i would say your black dragons given a large enough size probably fit in here too right um these are the type of threats where like they might just destroy the ship like they don't care about the people they might just take the whole ship and then Probably also the people. Yeah,
0: <laughs> Right. This whale isn't big enough to swallow the ship, but it did destroy your ship and then swallow all of you. Right. Right. And <laughs> this this dragon turtle doesn't care that the treasure is now in its stomach. It still counts toward its hoard.
1: Right. <laughs> um, then I think you also get uh, seafaring adventures have that theme of like forces of nature um, or magic, right? Where you've got like the ghost ship, the flying Dutchman, you know, like the, uh, the ship that preys upon... Um, pirates or on sailors or on, you know, Navy ships, right? Like kind of the, the mythical boogeymen of the sea. Right. Maybe that storm
0: is alive uh, or maybe it's here for a reason, protecting something.
1: Yeah. You could have like summoned events, <laughs> you know, like uh, somebody on one of the islands is protecting it. So they've like created weather uh, in order to discourage whatever's going on.
0: And then, of course, you could run into enemies uh, who are not necessarily a single ship that you are fighting, but they can be a power group who is uh, who exists in the area, and you're just always under threat of potentially running into them. That's you know the the navy if you are a pirate or pirates if you are just trying to uh, you know trade.
1: Yeah, and then these are also things that you're going to want to manage your like, relationship with, too, right? Like, you can be friendly to pirates. You can pay off the pirates. You can become a privateer and be friends-ish with the Navy, right? Um, Likewise, any of those aquatic civilizations that we've talked about, like, they probably have their own conflicts. um, And as an outsider, you could either help it or inflame it.
0: Yeah, this is one of those times where um, it's good to remember that, you know, not all non uh, human or non-human cultures are go- are typically going to be monocultures there's probably infighting within them that you can leverage to your
1: own benefit or or between them you know like they're already here they have their own stuff going on you showed up like you're not their focus right uh,
0: but you know the merfolk hate the Sahagin and vice right. versa
1: <laughs> was it the Darfelon oh god they
0: yeah. the hate, hate uh, the Sahagin right and, and, all of them the Darfelon uh, the Aventi everybody hates the Sahagin yeah And then all these different societies can have different technologies Uh, certainly they'll have different goals and maybe different moral outlooks uh, which are always interesting to explore
1: and uh, potential plot hooks and then also keep in mind that uh, any faction that shows up in port is also a potential influence on a seafaring adventure because all ships have to make land sometimes so you know any royal court uh, any local lord any you know um city watch or underworld or you know shady financier any of them can also become influences in your game i mean that's why i got a ghost ship no maintenance good point (laughs) all right let's talk about combat i mean if you want vehicle combat and you want to ram things ships (laughs) right (laughs) Uh, it's much easier than in space because in space everybody dies right (laughs) Um, so typically what you're going to do, like your ship to ship combat is going to be, you know, you grapple to pull a ship close, then you cross on boarding ramps or you swing across the, the gap between the ships on ropes or you, you know, levitate or fly or use the jump spell, like whatever it is to get across. Um, but you want to highlight that like fraught melee on the pitching, like rolling deck. You mean tools called grapples, right? Not the grapple Uh, rules, (laughs) not the grapple rules. (laughs) though of course if you grapple and shove somebody overboard probably a bad day for them right especially if you can breathe water
0: right and they can't so when you're dealing with these rolling decks um i mean maybe this is a disadvantage or a, a big hindrance in someone's first fight but after a certain point or you know even maybe just the first battle
1: sailors are going to quickly adapt you get your sea legs yeah um, and then you only really want to highlight that again if it's particularly severe, right? So when you're having that naval battle and the storm swallows you both, right? Well, okay, fine. Now it's now it's significant enough. Now it's a it's an outlier. We need to maybe represent that mechanically,
0: right? The deck is now pitching at thirty degrees, and everyone's getting hit with a wave over the side. Right. Yeah. Consider if you're playing in a, a game where you're on a boat. Can you swim? <laughs> If you can't, figure out a way to swim or
1: maybe, I don't know, get some magic or something to help you do it. Right. Like, in a world like Eberron, there's probably, like, a a charm token, right? Like, the equivalent of a feather token that just gives you water breathing when you hit the water. Cool. That'll give them a chance to rescue you. But not if you're in the middle of a fight and nobody sees you go overboard. (laughs) Right, Something that maybe people don't usually consider is that
0: one of the worst things that can happen on the water is fire often your ship is
1: wood yeah um typically ships don't just you know go up in flames at the first match like wood isn't that big of a of a threat they're not tinder boxes but when you have magical fire who knows like go for what's most fun for your setting right what does a fireball look like near the sails right um the real threat to to real ships is the magazine itself right so your big powder store if that gets set off uh the whole ship explodes it might even destroy the ship next to it if they're if they're connected
0: right or you know whatever any sort of anything that's volatile your bound elemental that's um powering the ship to begin with your steam contraption or whatever if that starts to burn you've got problems right i love that uh when you're on a ship, you're sort of forced to consider three dimensions because everyone always wants to like climb in the riggings and like be on different decks and then like leap down and jump around.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You're going to have, you know, this kind of probably a combination of ranged attacks and, um and melee and and like a lot of like vertical mobility and a lot of like very quick mobility you know like there's there's that thing where you like you grab the rope you cut the other side of the rope and you just fly up into the air or fly down to the deck safely just because like rigging things
0: right did you how did you know to cut that particular rope that was perfectly counterbalanced like i mean it's super cool let's just do it right Right, like lean into drama and heroics i I think if you're playing a very crunchy system where mobility is actually kind of difficult or you need to make a lot of checks i would probably relax those in these scenarios or like once someone has done something or seen someone else do it then it can just happen like otherwise it's just going to be pratfalls and people falling you know 50 feet to the ground and
1: dying but like you want to have a cool battle in a crow's nest right right exactly like i I would i would kind of treat it like a movie set you know in that like whatever needs to happen is happening off camera and like if you need to like suddenly get up to the crow's nest like yeah there's a rope that you can grab that will just fly you up there like i don't care if it's 60 or 100 feet of movement to get up there like you just do it give me the check to make sure you can right right and then you're good like, don't be super tight on action economy to suppress the cool swashbuckly stuff.
0: Right. And then, like, you know, leave verisimilitude at the door. We all know that, like, the the dagger in the sail thing doesn't work. Like, you
1: just plummet to your death. Yeah, but, like, you m- drop your, your dagger. It <laughs> it's cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and then also consider flight. You know, like, part of this mobility thing is that, like, being able to fly over the deck means you're completely unhindered by all the challenges of fighting at sea yeah you've got all different kinds of uh cover
0: you can hide behind a mast uh you can hide behind one of the sails uh, even just the, the shadow of
1: the hull right like duck over the side doesn't necessarily mean you're going into the drink right um but keep in mind if flight is like very common and easily accessible then all ships become aircraft carriers Like, you're not trying to close to fire your cannons. Now you're launching your uh, crack team of flying soldiers to go fight their team of flying soldiers and take the ship by air. Which is also maybe really cool. Uh,
0: Another thing to consider is if you are not on the deck or on the ship itself, you are not being propelled along with the ship. So as soon as you are taking flight you basically need to like catch up with the ship or it's possible that you get left behind and now you're just
1: flying over open ocean alone (laughs) for the next 30 seconds (laughs) (laughs) tack around please tack around all right so let's talk about some cool plots for the ocean uh pirates the menace of the shipping lanes. you're pirates you're doing pirate stuff
0: if uh you do feel like that's not patriotic enough
1: Maybe you're privateers. You
0: are also the menace of the shipping lanes, but uh, you've signed a contract. Yeah, you have the paperwork. <laughs> We're doing it for the crown. I mean, one crown, right? There's like seven crowns around here, but we still hate
1: the others. A crown. Um, this is usually better for RPGs because then, like, compared to like a naval campaign, just because you tend to have more agency as players um, and fewer logistics to rely upon. You know, you don't have a whole navy behind you giving you food and and shot
0: if you want to dabble in pirates you can just bring them into the story because there is hidden pirate treasure anybody will be looking for this if they've heard about it like the navy wants to reclaim uh, ill-gotten goods privateers want to keep it off the books and other pirates certainly want to get um, the
1: the buried treasure uh, you could also be outcast settlers right you've been driven out of your home for some reason so you take to the seas and forge a new path you look for uninhabited places to make a new start I mean, maybe you're even just living on these ships right as like
0: a, a flotilla and you are basically like ocean nomads
1: well maybe um because of global warming the seas have swallowed up all of the land and now you have no choice but to live on this flotilla uh well you know we do have this one map tattooed <laughs> on this child and also this one guy with gills
0: well i yeah i took the mutant subrace of course okay <laughs> why would you not do that what idiot doesn't take water breathing
1: um, and then another one that I think is uh, is great for the shorter term kind of adventure is uh, like a, shipwreck, a shipwrecked plot, right? So your ship goes down, you wash up in a strange place. Uh, where are you? How do you survive? And how do you get back to what you were trying to do?
0: Yeah, that's probably good for like two seasons. And then after that, cut your losses, honestly. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, six seasons in a
0: movie. <laughs> it doesn't need to tie all together at the end. It's fine. People it's will still like it. Anyway. it. Yeah, <laughs> just coast on your <laughs> reputation, right? <laughs> All right, so let's talk about some pitfalls because, ooh, baby, there are a lot of them. Uh,
1: colonialism, huh? Huh?
0: Yeah. Uh, if yeah, if you are emulating historical privateers or explorers or pirates or conquistadors or whomever, then there's a lot of terrible things that were done and that you do not want to be emulating in your games. Slaving right like the this was the slave trade one of the goods that you know pirates and uh privateers and people working for the crown were moving were other people
1: yeah the there's romance to piracy um in the in the sort of like pro-democratic open society that they had but also they were slave traders yeah i mean there certainly were
0: pirates who specifically were not due to you know their selected morals i mean that's potentially something that can be interesting uh, but you've got a lot of other things too right like you know you're dealing with quote unquote natives and indigenous people like, exotic cultures right like again like i'm i'm doing air quotes this entire time all of these sort of like native mysticism uh, curses type things show up in in the touchstones for these kinds of games and you need to make sure that you are sort of pulling those up by the roots so that you're uh, not pulling them forward into
1: not bringing them forward into like a current game yeah and then uh, a topic that hit twitter uh in a very painful way this week um it's easy to portray the evil humanoids with the same sort of racist tropes that get applied to real world peoples so you need to be very careful about how you're portraying and justifying whatever's happening to them
0: yeah, even if like the whole point of you doing that is to show that actually they're not that evil. If you're using the same kind of terminology, it can certainly be uh, triggering, it can be uncomfortable. Um, a- and then you just can get into the situation where you're sort of doubling down on the on the kind of language. It just it gets used anyway, and and, and that's not a pleasant experience for
1: anyone. That's why I like to use Sahagan, because they're shark people and sharks are terrifying monsters.
0: That's right. Everyone understands. Oh god, they have terrible sharp pointy teeth. And also, actually, when I run Sahagin, I just make them terrifying shark people, right? There's no nuance to them. Right, exactly.
1: <laughs> like, they uh, they just eat right. a lot. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. Also, if you are in a fantasy type game or even, you know, sci-fi, magic can solve a bunch of the challenges that you're dealing with on the high seas.
1: Yeah, so it can fix your supply problems, your mobility problems, your risk of falling into the ocean problems. Um, you don't want to limit the magic. You just want to plan around how the magic of the setting is going to change it from your typical trope.
0: Yeah, can mending fix your hull? Uh, if so, awesome. Can press a digitation clean your hull? Oh god, amazing. That's why we uh, lower the
1: Aventi wizard on ropes off the side every week. <laughs> right Uh, likewise you know like a fireball spell like can that ignite the sails or burn the rigging can that immobilize a ship um if so you probably better have a lot of supplies of extra sails Uh, maybe fireball can't but flaming sphere if left on the hull of a ship or on the deck of a ship will burn through it right maybe we just need to make sure we have a lot of wizards yeah or maybe there is some treatment for most wood that gets used for shipbuilding that like makes it fire retardant and you don't have to worry about like magical fire flash like flash sparking (laughs) your ship right we're not swabbing the deck to
0: clean it we're swabbing the deck to fireproof it exactly (laughs) Uh, and then there's the ship itself part of the drama is that you could lose this the ship the ship could be destroyed but if that happens then probably everybody on the ship except for the party is going to die
1: yeah, maybe one important NPC, and that's it. And, of course, without your ship, it's not
0: a seafaring game. You are, I guess, floating on, a, what, a door? A door. <laughs> Where there's only room for one person? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely only room for one. <laughs> this doesn't necessarily have to end the, the campaign, um, but it is a major setback that's going to be a huge plot point. And then, of, and of course the thing your party is going to do immediately is find another ship. That's the only thing they're going to be concerned with until they get another one.
1: Yeah, So, but you might lose them along the way, right? Like the the despondency of losing the ship when you finally had the freedom in the campaign might be too much of a tonal shift. Uh, It might feel like you've taken away their favorite toy and you might lose your players in the process.
0: Right. I mean, it's not only the toy, right? It's literally everything that was on it, which is probably everything that they owned, all of their treasure, everything.
1: Yeah, I don't think pirates have 401ks. Right.
0: (laughs) All right. So, Shane, we have done uh, a fair bit of seafaring in our days. I mean, I've I've literally done no seafaring in real life. I've only done it in games. Um, And I've been called out many a time for having absolutely no idea how ships work. Uh Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Fortunately, they're magic ships, you know, and like in Eberron, this is how ships work, I guess. (laughs) <laughs> um, <laughs> But, okay, I've never run an entire seafaring game, but I have used probably mm, six or seven of these plot hooks or tropes in a-, a game. And honestly, I think it has always been a hit people love to like be on the ship for whatever reason they end up being on the ship and like, Oh God, we're fighting a Kraken. How is this going to go? You just sort of like throw the, the rules out the window for a second. And then like everybody is sort of approaching this session with like new abandon, because obviously if you don't, if you don't succeed, everybody dies. And like, this is just so crazy from our usual, like traveling slowly through like the forest hex by hex. Like it's, it's cool and fun.
1: Yeah, like that's what's crazy about it is like a fight on a ship is not much different mechanically from a a room in a dungeon, you know? Like you're still stuck on the 60, you know, the six square by three square like deck of a ship that's your room you're fighting in but like the tension and the drama is just amped up so much when you describe it in that sort of like visceral way of like the salt spray and the waves like crashing over the bow and like the you know the thick arms of the kraken wrapping around the hull you know like it's just like there's something primordial about that yeah literally <laughs> yeah well fair <laughs> Um, so yeah, I'm I'm with you. I think like w- whatever your game is, you can always throw in the ocean, um, and and know that you're gonna come out with a good like one or two session arc. Do you hear that, Ishan? It's the sound of the hull splintering beneath the tentacles of the kraken. Um, I think we're all gonna die. Well. As my character has jumped into the mouth of the Kraken, it's time to move on to the character creation forge. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous, that's M-U-N-Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Zans Carne, that's Malice minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast.
0: You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at
1: www.TotalPartyThrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at Total Party Thrill. And join the conversation on Discord. There's a link in the show notes. Hey, Goat Thief, come on
0: back. <laughs> it wasn't so bad.
2: Leave behind the safety of the Humblewood and travel down the Tangrip coast to the Bay of Palouche, home to both the Kingdom of Den and the Serpent Domain. But neither hold the true power of the bay, for that lies in the sea itself and the pirate lords that call her tides their own. The dread pirate Captain Bluebeak, Tiberius Fang, Kin the Bladeless, and Gabrielle Lafleur, the self-proclaimed pirate queen, each one vying for power over the very tides themselves. But do any of them really have what it takes to hold up the legacy of the briny bulldog? Tune in each week to find out if our little crew has what it takes to stand up to the pirates of the blood-soaked waters. Dark Fortunes is available every Monday on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. Set sail for high seas adventure.
0: So this week in the Character Creation Forge, hey everyone! it's anime yay
1: and there was much rejoicing
0: (laughs) you're just happy that you
1: don't need to uh write any forges this month (laughs) this is this is my favorite month actually yeah i don't identify with anything in the character creation forge i don't know what any of these things are or what these terms mean but i know that i don't have to build the character creation forge you have taken that upon yourself so i salute you (laughs) (laughs) that's why i like overwatch tober (laughs) 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 <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right so this week we are building sailor neptune who is a, another one of the sailor soldiers from sailor moon uh, of course she's ocean themed uh-huh that's a uh,
1: fitting given her name
0: yeah uh not so fun fact canonically she is a lesbian in a relationship with sailor uranus uh, but in the English dub in the 90s, uh, the censors didn't like that. So they tweaked it so that they were called cousins. Except that there there were these like uh, parts in the animation where they're so very obviously flirting with each other that a bunch of Americans were confused and thought that they had like an incestuous relationship. <laughs> so- <laughs> Right. (laughs) Because, you know, the 90s were about appearing uh, open-minded and progressive, but not actually being so.
1: I I thought you were going to say the censors required them to change the name to Sailor Uranus.
0: (laughs) They they emphasize it more. Sailor (laughs) Uranus. All right. So what does
1: Sailor Neptune do and what's the build?
0: (laughs) Uh, So she's water-themed. She shoots water-based attacks. Um, She's very intelligent. She's cultured. Uh, polite she plays the violin very well in fact in uh, the manga she actually uses the violin sometimes to like um, cast some of her most devastating uh, attacks and she also has some precognitive abilities and she like can use the ocean to you know get a portent of the future alright so what's the build it is divination wizard 17 lore bard 3 so from Bard, we get second level spells and inspiration a few times a day. That's fine. But uh, we also get spells that we don't get from wizard like enhance ability and then zone of truth because eventually she is able to discern when people are lying. We get jack of all trades because of course, she's basically good at pretty much every cultured type thing that you can do swimming, dancing, performance, all of those things. Right. Uh, bar gives you three more skills and expertise times two, one of which, of course, you will take performance.
1: Uh, and then, of course, you'll get Cutting Words.
0: Which is just, you know, her cultured way of putting you in your, in your place.
1: Uh-huh. How uncouth. So from Divination Wizard, of course, we're here for Portent, uh, the best way to represent foresight in the game. You'll get
0: ninth-level spells, so dear lord you have a lot to choose from but on theme are things like shape water uh, ray of frost uh, can be reflavored as you know shooting a, a hard ball of water you get things like tidal wave wall of water control water watery sphere control weather these are all fine spells but you know your bread and butter is probably still going to be um you know ranged attacks uh, mm-hmm. and then you know mind control spells but remember, she's also a diviner and she has a lot of insight into other people. So you've got spells like Detect Thoughts, uh, Legend Lore, and she is also able to uh, cancel magic. So, of course, dispel magic.
1: Then you'll get the Foresight spell. And uh, I believe she also does some Astral Projecting in the uh, in the anime. She is
0: capable of doing that. Uh, and then, of course, I mean, the, so sure, Foresight and Astral Projection are, are great ninth level spells. Very on theme however i think she's probably going to be taking wish not to cast wish but to cast tsunami which is a druid spell which i enjoy very much but shane what's the main drawback to tsunami other than you not liking it (laughs) Uh, uh, the
1: main drawback to tsunami is that it's a druid spell
0: (laughs) uh you're not wrong right i was like how do we get a druid spell on this lady um it's that it has a one minute casting time, which oh, is right. just forever. But if you use wish and use the ability of wish to duplicate any eighth level spell or lower, it just happens in one action. So you just cast tsunami. Yep. And she probably uses her violin to do it.
1: And then it, it doesn't give you the risk of burning out your wish either. Exactly. So you, you still have it in your back pocket. If you someday want to give up tsunami to risk, I don't know, fixing the world. <laughs>
0: so in terms of leveling order i think we'll do wizard five to get third level spells insert the bard uh to get your performance boost and then finish out wizard
1: all right before we wrap up let's take a moment and thank our patreon supporters your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week so if you'd like to learn more you can check out our rewards at patreon.com slash total party thrill uh, and should call out, we have fallen behind on some of those rewards. So if you see emails from us asking for information, it's because we're trying to catch up.
0: Yeah. And if you are owed uh, a Patreon reward, uh, like a T-shirt or a pin or something like that, shoot us a message. Uh, given the pandemic, we would like to put all those packages together and then mail them at once.
1: Yeah. E- email, email, email. Uh, right. TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com uh, is definitely better. We missed a Patreon message and I feel super bad about it. Yeah. Uh, So what do we have planned for next week's episode?
0: We'll be talking about playing aberrant dragon-marked
1: characters. And in the Character Creation Forge? We're building Inuyasha. Well, that's it for episode 249 of Total Party Thrill. I hope you lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks Thanks for listening. Total Party Thrill is brought to you by Cobol Press and the Empire of Ghouls, the Underworld Player's Guide and Underworld Layers. Empire of the Ghouls is an Underdark
0: campaign for levels 1 to 13. And the matching Underworld Player's Guide includes new playable races from Darrow to Dark Trollkin to Drow and Mushroom Folk,
1: plus new spells, subclasses, and backgrounds. And the Underworld Lairs book includes standalone Underdark adventures for levels 3 through 14. Look, I'm glad
0: there's a lot of uh, new additional like, abilities and subraces and things like that, because... Anytime I start an Underdark game at level one, I'm always like, I'm definitely going to die. Yeah.
1: How how does a level one (laughs) character survive in the Underdark? Right. You don't. (laughs) You become a prisoner until you're level three. Right. (laughs) Uh, No, I love that Cobalt Press does these packages, like... Uh, centered around like an adventure as well as a player's guide as well as like additional encounters because like a lot of times they set them in places that are underdeveloped in like official 5e content right so you had one adventure in the underdark in all of 5e and that's about all you get now you have a lot more stuff to draw from
0: wait you mean you can have uh multiple products all uh based around uh running the same campaign and so you don't have to rely on a single book and then the release schedule is a bit disjointed and then you know you're really interested in a particular location and then there isn't another book like that or about it for oh i don't know eight years uh that's
1: correct (laughs) okay (laughs) unless that place is water deep in which case they'll just set everything (laughs) there who cares
0: awesome all right so the whole package is available now from kobolpress.com and on roll 20 and fantasy grounds for online play you can find
1: out more at com. tell them dspn sent you